Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today. I want to welcome you to Plum Creek, whether you're in person or you're watching online. I want to begin today by sharing a little bit of my personal experience this week. I don't know if this will be helpful for you, but I hope it will be. Um, Early on in the week, I had a lot of things on my mind. I had a lot that was heavy on my heart. Uh, And then came Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Wednesday, like so many of you, I saw what was happening in our nation's capital, and it was disturbing. It was disheartening. Uh, I really hate to see people trying to solve problems by turning to violence. And over the past year, we've seen that approach from extremists on the political right and on the political left. And in Scripture, it's very clear, violence is not the way of Jesus. So I'll be honest with you, for me, Wednesday was one of those times when life just seemed really heavy. And I was looking for something that would kind of lift my spirits. And you know what? Watching the news did not help whatsoever. Scrolling through social media didn't help either. But you know what did help? Wednesday evening, we had a mission team meeting over Zoom. And we didn't talk very much about the events of the day, but we did talk about our mission partners. We talked about what God is doing around the world. And most of all, we prayed. We prayed for a world that is in turmoil. We prayed for people who need Jesus. We prayed that God would use the chaos around us as a catalyst to help people realize their need for Jesus and turn to him. And I'm here to tell you, that time of prayer changed my state of mind like nothing else I found. You know, it is so easy to focus on bad news. It's easy to get discouraged. But God has reminded me again and again, there is always good news. There's always a light that overcomes the darkness. There is a hope that transcends despair. But you don't find that hope by looking to politicians. You don't find it by looking inside yourself or looking to any other human solution. You find that hope by looking to Jesus. And I realize... Uh, Because I'm a preacher, you might expect me to say that. That's what I'm supposed to say. But I promise you, I say that because I believe it. I say that because it's true. I'm so glad that I have good news to share with you today. This morning we're starting a new series called The Way Forward. And this series has been on the calendar for months now, but I believe it's especially appropriate for this moment in time. The world looks different than it did a year ago. And as a church, this is a time to ask God to lead us into the future. What should followers of Christ be doing right now? How should we live? How does God want us to go about being the church here in 2021? Well, the answer goes back to what I said a minute ago. We need to look to Jesus. So here's the game plan for this series Back when Jesus began his ministry, he made several clear statements about his mission. He said, this is who I am, and this is what I came to do. One of the places where he did that was in Luke chapter 4. And over the next few weeks, we'll look at a passage where Jesus lays out his purpose, and we'll find examples for us to follow today. And I do need to be up front with you. 
Uh, we're going to cover some topics that are a little uncomfortable. Uh, we're going to hit on some areas that are contentious in our culture. Uh, but if the church is going to live out God's calling, we have to deal with uncomfortable topics. We need to have a Christ-like response to the problems in our world. And in this time when division is so common, God's people need to figure out a way to agree on what is essential, and then we can agree to disagree on matters of opinion. Churches like Plum Creek have often used the phrase, in essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love. I think that's a really good saying. And in the end, I believe this series is going to be really helpful. I believe that because whenever we're willing to listen, the gospel of Jesus is always good news. So let's go ahead and dig into Scripture. Now, you can follow along with me in Luke chapter 4. And let me give you a little background here. Uh, this story we're about to read, this is the moment when Jesus began his ministry. He's already been baptized. He's already been tempted in the wilderness. And now he's ready to get to work. And guess where he starts? He goes back to his old stomping grounds, the region of Galilee. And this is the place where he grew up. So let's go to Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Now, notice... At this point, we haven't seen any great miracles from Jesus. That doesn't happen until later in this chapter. So before those miracles took place, what was it about Jesus that people found so impressive? Why were they drawn to him? Well, it was his teaching. He spoke with authority. He had a power that was undeniable. Uh, and early on, everybody praised him. The word was going around. You got to go hear this guy. He's amazing. Now, remember, Jesus is back in Galilee. This is the general region where he grew up. But in the next verse, Jesus returns to Nazareth, his hometown. Let's keep reading. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, this is a very important moment, and I want to make sure we get the picture here. So let's go back in time and imagine a small-town Jewish synagogue in a place like Nazareth in the first century. As you walk through the door, you would see benches lining three of the walls. And the benches were for, for the important people. The common folks would sit on the floor, which was usually dirt or maybe flagstones. And then in many synagogues, you would see a cabinet a painted cabinet, uh, and, and that cabinet contained a library of scrolls, uh, scrolls like the writings of the Torah, which we would call the first five books of the Old Testament, or the writings of the prophets, and this collection of scrolls would be the most precious possession in the synagogue. And then as you look to the front of the room, you would see a small pulpit. That's where the reader would stand uh, the reader would share several verses of Scripture, uh, first from the law and then from the prophets. 
And there would often, often be an interpreter standing next to the reader. The interpreter would translate those verses from Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, into Aramaic, which was the common language of the people. And in a normal worship service, the rulers of that local synagogue would take turns reading and interpreting and instructing the congregation. But here in Luke chapter 4, this is not a normal service. On this day, the crowd is about to hear from a visiting rabbi. Jesus steps up to the pulpit and he's handed a scroll from the attendant, a man known as a Hazan. And this particular scroll contains the words of the prophet Isaiah. And there's a special passage that Jesus wants to read here because he's about to make a significant statement. Let's go back to the text, verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Isaiah had written those words over 700 years earlier. This was a prophecy about the Messiah. And Isaiah said, when the Messiah comes into the world, he's going to do something about the world's problems. He's going to bring good news for you if you are poor or you're a prisoner or, or you're blind or you're oppressed. When the Messiah comes, it's going to be a very good day. Now, as Jesus read these words from Isaiah, I'm confident that the people loved hearing that because they were looking forward to the Messiah. But I don't think they were ready for what was about to happen. Verse 20, Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. So at that point, the Hazan takes the scroll, puts it back in the cabinet. And then Jesus sits down, which was the custom, and he began to explain what he had just read. And the next verse says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And what's he about to say? Well, here it is. Jesus began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, yep, I'm here. It's me. Isaiah was talking about me. I can imagine people's eyes getting huge. I bet their mouths were hanging open. And the next verse says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So right here, the people of Nazareth could not be more excited about their hometown boy. Unfortunately, though, things are about to turn ugly. Like so many other times in Jesus' life, people loved him as long as he met their expectations. But as soon as he said something they didn't like or offended them in some way, they turned on him. So that's what happens here. Just a few verses later, the crowd becomes violent. They're ready to kill Jesus. And I need to stop right there because we're not going to read that part of the story today. Uh, we'll cover that in a couple weeks. Now, later this afternoon, you can go ahead and read that yourself, or you can let it be a cliffhanger. That's up to you. Uh, but what I want to do today is focus on one particular phrase from Isaiah's prophecy. In fact, that's what we're going to do every week in this series. So let's go back and hear those words again. 
Jesus picked up the scroll and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So there are lots of good things in there, but we're going to break this down one piece at a time. And in the time that we have left here today, I want to focus on that one phrase that says, good news to the poor. The Spirit of God anointed Jesus, the Messiah, to proclaim good news to the poor. That sounds great, right? But what does it mean? (laughs) Is Jesus talking about people who are literally poor, like a lack of money or a lack of material resources? And if that is the case, what's the good news? Did Jesus come to eliminate economic poverty? Or, Or what about this option? Could the word poor be allegorical here? Is it more about some kind of spiritual poverty? Well, to sort this out, we need to look outside of Luke chapter 4. If we skip ahead to Luke chapter 7, we get to a place where Jesus' ministry is in full swing. And by this point, he has performed quite a few miracles. But off to the side, Jesus' friend, John the Baptist, is in a very dark place. He's in prison. So it's dark both literally, and he, he, he's in a dark place mentally. And John is starting to question whether Jesus really is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. So John the Baptist sends a few of his disciples over to Jesus, and they ask him, Jesus, are you the one that, that is to come, or should we be looking for somebody else? And listen to what Jesus says. Luke 7, verse 22. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So right here, Jesus presents John with evidence as if to say, Yes, John, I am the Messiah. I'm the one fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy right here, right now. So, This is a list of evidence. And up until the very end, every item on that list refers to some kind of physical healing. Jesus healed the sick, and he even raised the dead. But there at the end, Jesus also points out that he's proclaiming good news to the poor. And since every other item on that list refers to some kind of physical condition, can we assume that the word poor here refers to a material or economic poverty? Well, I believe that's a safe assumption. However, we also have to think about Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. That's where Jesus starts that sermon with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're still talking about good news for the poor here, but Jesus is not talking about material poverty at this point. It's it's clear. He says, poor in spirit. Now, we could look at lots of other examples, but that's all we need for the moment. When Jesus proclaims good news for the poor, he's talking about both economic and spiritual poverty. So now that we're clear on that, we have to go back and say, well, again, what does that mean? What exactly is this good news? 
And let's start with economic poverty. As you and I both know, Jesus did not eliminate poverty in his lifetime, and it's still very much with us today. So how did Jesus bring good news for people who don't have enough money, who don't have enough material resources? Well, we can think about it this way. A lot of you know the story where Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And that was a miracle. No ordinary person could have done it. And that miracle shows us two things. Number one, Jesus has compassion for people in need. He looked out and he saw those thousands of people who were hungry and he fed them. But that miracle shows us something else too. Jesus has a power that proves him to be the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it's very interesting. Jesus did not feed every hungry person who was alive at that time. He also didn't heal every person who was sick. And why not? Well, by meeting some physical needs, Jesus showed us that he can also meet our spiritual needs. And there's no question that spiritual needs are far more urgent than physical needs. The physical problems in this world are temporary. Yes, hunger is bad. Diseases are bad. But in heaven, those things are gone. However, that's not true of spiritual problems. Our number one spiritual problem is sin. And if we don't solve that problem, the consequences will stretch into eternity. Sin separates us from God, and without forgiveness, our sin leads to eternal death in hell. But Jesus came to seek and save lost people like you and me. He came to bring us back into God's kingdom. But here's the thing. The only way to enter God's kingdom is to be spiritually poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when you are poor in spirit, you admit that you are spiritually bankrupt. You're well aware of the fact that you are not a good person. You deserve eternal punishment. And there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. The only thing you can bring to Jesus is nothing. All you can do is throw yourself at God's mercy. And the great news is God is full of love and mercy. That's why Jesus went to the cross and he took the punishment that we deserve. And because of his sacrifice, your sins can be forgiven and you can become spiritually rich instead of spiritually poor. It's like a line from that old hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's another way of saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we've talked a lot about what Jesus did, what he came to do, but now we have to bring this around to us. Remember, this series is about finding our way forward as a church. So what is it that God is calling us to do? How does he want us to be the church here in 2021? Well, there's a basic concept that applies here. If you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have to actually follow him. So you see where I'm going with this? Jesus left us an example. He told us to pick up where he left off. So genuine followers of Jesus will show compassion. Number one, by meeting material needs. Uh, when the church reaches out to help others, we're showing that we care 
but we also show that God cares. But we can't leave it at that. Followers of Jesus will also show compassion by addressing spiritual needs. Remember, spiritual needs are the most urgent because they have eternal implications. And we see that in the command that Jesus gave his disciples right before he left this world. What did he say? Did did he say, okay, guys, these are my final instructions. Go out and feed hungry people. No, that's not what he said. Now, does Jesus care about hungry people? Of course he does. He proved that again and again. But his instructions to his disciples were, were this. He said, go out into the world to all nations and make more disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. It's the Great Commission. It's the top priority for the church, leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. But even though that is the top priority, the church needs to be involved in both areas, meeting both material and spiritual needs. And this is a trap that churches fall into all the time. Uh, Many churches focus on just one of those two areas. Some are all about sharing food and clothing and reaching out to the poor. And that's great. That's absolutely great. But many of those churches just neglect the deeper spiritual needs. And in many cases, it's because they, they don't really believe that the Bible is God's word. They don't really believe that it's true, all of it. They don't believe that without Jesus, people are truly lost. They don't believe that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. They don't believe in a literal hell and that apart from Jesus, that's where we're headed. So at that point, um, those churches just, they focus on trying to make the world a better place. And that mentality is sometimes called the social gospel. Uh, And when you look at Jesus, that mindset is definitely out of balance. But you know, it is possible to go to the other extreme. Churches can focus on spiritual needs to the point where they do very little to address the material needs around us. And that's also a problem because that leaves out a huge part of who Jesus is. He cares about people who are suffering. He cares about injustice. So the church can't sit back and ignore those things. We need to let people know that no matter where, what you're going through, God sees you. He cares He loves you. You can turn to him, and he has the help that you need. So let's wrap up by getting very practical. As a church, we don't want to be out of balance. We don't want to focus on just one type of need. But we also want to be careful that we don't go out and do good things in a bad way. You know, sometimes our knee-jerk reactions aren't always helpful. For example, when it comes to economic poverty, You might think the solution is money. Uh, And if money was the answer, you know, it would be a great thing for someone in poverty to win the lottery. But unfortunately, it's not that simple. Uh, Statistics show uh, money is just not the simple solution. I read this week that lottery winners are more likely than the average American to go bankrupt within five years after winning. So we, need, we have to be wise in the way that we address sp- material needs. We also need to be wise when we go out to meet spiritual needs. 
Is, is it possible to stand on a sidewalk with a bullhorn and just yell at people, tell them, turn or burn? Sure, that's possible, but is it helpful? I don't think so. But who's getting this right? Are there real-life examples of Christians today who do a great job of showing compassion in both of these areas? Actually, yes, there are many, many examples. I want to tell you about just one that I've come across. It's a ministry called Missions of Hope, or MOHI. MOHI is based over in Africa, in the country of Kenya. And I'm telling you about this for three reasons. One, I've seen it for myself. I've been there. And two, many of us here at Plum Creek sponsor a child through Missions of Hope. And three, I was just amazed by what God is doing through this ministry. Now, some of you are familiar with Mohi, but I'll give you a quick overview. Missions of Hope was started by a Kenyan woman named Mary Kamau. Back in 1992, Mary happened to visit the Mathare Valley Slum, which is just one of many huge slums in the capital city of Nairobi. Over 4 million people live in Nairobi, and approximately 2.5 million live in slums just like this. And the conditions there are beyond tragic. You'd really have to see it for yourself to understand the scope of the poverty. Now, Mary Kamau is a committed follower of Christ, and she responded to this need in an amazing way. I think most of us would look at a huge slum like that and say, well, there's nothing I could do that would even make a dent with a problem that big. Uh, but Mary was convicted to do something. So she and her husband, Wallace, decided to start some kind of outreach, but they wanted to do it right. They had seen lots of groups come in with a hit-and-run approach, and those groups, they tried to meet spiritual or material needs, but they did it on a temporary one-time basis, and because there was no lasting commitment, there was no long-term change. So Mary and Wallace used a different strategy. They began working with children as an entry point to work with entire families. And they were committed to address poverty of all kinds. Economic, physical, emotional, relational, and especially spiritual. And they were also committed to stick around. So in the year 2000, they began a school in Mathari for 50 children, ages 4 and 5. And to make a long story short... Over the past 20 years, they've grown from serving 50 children in just one section of one slum to the point where today they serve 21,000 children in 25 different communities across the entire country. And it's not just about the kids. Mohi workers uh, work with whole families one by one, and they don't just provide a handout. They offer skills training for parents which gives them a chance to begin a meaningful career. Uh, they teach skills like sewing and hairdressing and plumbing and welding. And they also provide microfinance loans so these adults can start their own businesses and support their own families. As of today, they've given over 6,000 microloans. Every year, over 400 adults graduate from their skills training program. But remember, this is not just about meeting material needs. The work of Mohi is all done in the name of Jesus. 
And when I was there, Wallace Kamau was very clear. He said, their primary mission is leading people to Jesus. The goal is reconciling people to God. And it's an amazing thing. When the church goes out to meet physical needs in a healthy way, people are a lot more open to hearing the good news about Jesus. That's happened at Mohi in the past few months. And just like the rest of the world, COVID has taken a heavy toll on Kenya, especially in the slums, and many families were going hungry. So Missions of Hope began distributing food baskets to the families that they serve. And as part of the food distribution process, families had to come to the Mohi centers to pick up the food. And when they arrived, each parent went through a counseling session. And the counselors would, would take time to listen to whatever was going on with that family. They also opened God's word and they shared the gospel. And as a result, 414 individuals in 14 different ministry centers gave their lives to Christ. So that's one great example of meeting both material and spiritual needs. But I have to give you just one more. Not long ago, Mohi started a center in the town of Bura, which is over 200 miles from Nairobi. Now, Bura is a predominantly Muslim community, and you would expect the people there to be very resistant to a Christian group like Mohi, but that's not what happened. The people of Bura saw that when the children attended the Mohi school, their lives were transformed. Those children grew healthier and happier, and they were also getting a great education. So, this Muslim community opened their arms to Mohi, even though the children in that school learn about Jesus every single day. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That's what happens when God's Holy Spirit empowers the church to go out and show compassion in the name of Jesus by addressing both spiritual and material needs. So that's what's happening in Africa. But what about here at Plum Creek? Well, I have a couple of suggestions. Uh, for one, it, many of us sponsor a child through Missions of Hope, but if God is leading you and you want to become a sponsor or add an additional child, you can certainly do that. Uh, just go to mohiafrica.org and then click on Get Involved. But here at Plum Creek, we also need to address the needs that are right around us in our community. And there are many ways we've done that over the years with ministries like the Sharing Center and Family Promise and, and then just focusing on our mission of leading people to Jesus. And of course, we'll continue to pursue those things. But I want to close with an individual challenge. I'm praying that Mary Kamau will be an inspiration to all of us. Because as a follower of Jesus, she saw a massive need, but she didn't turn away. She wasn't paralyzed by the scope of the problem. She began working to transform communities in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. So let's keep our eyes open. What needs do you see? What problem do you feel led to address? It might be that God has a plan to use you in a powerful way. You know, the church is called to follow the example of Jesus, and that means proclaiming good news to the poor. So let's find ways to share that good news.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the good news that all of our needs can be met through Jesus. I pray that you will help us to share that good news, to share your love in tangible ways so that people can can find a, a solution to their deepest spiritual need, which is a reconciled relationship with you. Lord, help us to not only experience your love, but help others experience your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.